Well, I'd invite you to take your Bibles out and open with me to the Psalms, uh, chapter 23. Psalm 23 is our text for this morning. Uh, I really like reading the Psalms. Uh, There's just something about reading those songs and poems that well, for me, they just really paint an accurate picture of, of life as, as we know it out in the real world. And if you, uh, if you spend a lot of time in the, in the Psalms, you, be, you begin to notice that you can categorize the, the type of Psalms. And scholars do this all the time, and, you know, they have all sorts of categories that you can put them in. Um, I just, you know, wanted to mention three. There's, a, there's a, about a third of the psalms that are psalms of lament. Um, they remind us that, that life is difficult, um, that life is full of people who try to get the best of us. Uh, these psalms of lament, uh, they, they are bold enough to wonder if God is actually out there, if God actually exists. Um, These psalms of lament, they they really, if you want to think about it, they they take a a snapshot of us when we feel like our life is in the pit. That's what the psalms of, of lament do. They're sometimes angry, they're sometimes vengeful, um, they have this abandoned sense to them. Like we're out there hanging in the breeze, all by our lonesomes. It, it seems like in some of these psalms that um, God's absent and evil is winning. Um, they're not happy songs. That's about a third of them. Then, then there's another group, another chunk of psalms that... Uh, they kind of feel like you have stepped out of the pit and now you're standing on a rock, solid ground. Uh, these uh, psalms are they're more upbeat in nature. Um, you know, we've escaped the pit and we, we have firm foundation underneath us and then we can just breathe this whew, sigh of relief. Uh, they celebrate God's presence, they acknowledge him, and they, they celebrate God's activity in our lives. Uh, weeping from the pit becomes uh, joy and laughter. Uh, mourning and grief is traded for dancing. Uh, these psalms cry, hallelujah, thank you, Lord, praise be to the Father. Those would be another chunk of the psalms. Then, the, then there are, there's a group of psalms that I like to say, uh, we could classify them as mountaintop songs. And, and these, um, these psalms that are the mountaintop songs are, are written to take a long look back over life. And so as you're standing on the mountaintop, um, the pain and the anguish of being in the pit is gone, but it's remembered because you can see it. Uh, the exuberance of standing on the rock and with firm foundation underneath is somewhat faded, but is remembered. You could say that the mountaintop psalms uh, are songs uh, where passion is replaced with depth. And you could say that 
the loud emotion of exuberance uh, is replaced with a quiet confidence. And Psalm 23 falls into this last category. Psalm 23 is a mountaintop psalm. It's arguably the most well-known piece of scripture in the whole Bible. Uh, the words are known even by people who don't consider themselves to be people of faith. Uh, one reason that we like uh, Psalm 23 so much is because it's a mountaintop psalm. It gives us that long look back over life. It remembers the valleys and the trouble that we've found ourselves in. It remembers the seasons of joy that we experience. It remembers the pain of, of loneliness. But it also reminds us that there is comfort in the protection of our God. And so I, I, want, to, I want to read Psalm 23 with you today. If you would stand with me uh, to honor the authority of the word. These are the words of the psalmist. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me besides still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. It's the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You can be seated. Now, I realize we are in the first Sunday of Advent, and you might be wondering what this particular psalm has to do with Advent and Christmas. Uh, because this psalm is most often used um, during funerals, um, memorial services. It's read often in the midst of uh, sickness in hospital rooms. Uh, it's used to comfort people who are grieving and mourning. I, I have the privilege once or twice a month to lead a service over at Riverside uh, Nursing Home. I've told you about this group of people before, usually a small gathering of, you know, anywhere from four to a dozen of the, of the residents there, and, and I get to share communion with them um, once or twice a month. And every so often, I, I pull out this particular psalm, and it's amazing what the words of this scripture do in people. Uh, everybody that comes to that service isn't, I, well, I don't think they're always there and aware. 
but they come to church and celebrating the Lord's Supper is meaningful to them. And on days where it feels like, I don't know if I have everybody's attention, I'll read this one. And it's amazing how people start to melt. And I, I heard even some of you do it this morning. When I started reading, you, you whisper along the words that you know. Because they've worked their way into our lives. We've, we've lived with the words of this psalm for a long time. I picture Ed, he's got this real deep voice there, and he doesn't talk a lot, but I read this one and, and I hear him saying some of the lines. And then, then there's others who just nod their head. And any feelings of anxiety or, or just being tense just slowly melt away. Well, one, one lady, she... Uh, she just gets this huge smile on her face and, and she just starts pointing up. It's kind of like when you sing the words to Amazing Grace. It has a similar effect on people. I know, the question is still out there. So why now? Why are we talking about this psalm today? And Advent is a time of, of waiting, a time of expectancy, we read in scripture that uh, Mary was visited by an angel and she was told that she would give birth to a son. And in obedience, she simply said, I am the servant of the Lord. Let, let it be a, to me according to your word. And, and so with those words, her time of waiting began. And on this first Sunday of Advent, our time of waiting begins as well. I mean, we are waiting with hope for the arrival of a baby, one who would come and save the people who were lost in sin. The prophet Isaiah, long before Jesus was born, he, he noted that the people were walking in darkness. And that when the baby arrived, that the people would see a great light. And if you look around in our society, there's no difficulty in seeing that we live in a very dark world. It, the darkness and evil is always around us. And we long for the pure light of Jesus' love to come and rule and reign in our lives and in our world. And we long for the peace that will be brought with his righteousness and his presence. And we wait for the son whom Isaiah says will take the government, take the world on his shoulders. And this one will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And so our Advent prayer is simply, come Lord Jesus, may it be so. As I was preparing for the Advent series this year, I, I spent some time looking through artwork and clip art and pictures of nativity scenes. And the, 
the nativity scenes, they help us tell the story of Jesus' birth. Um, year after year, we set them up. If they're packed away, we, you know, we carefully unwrap the pieces, and maybe there's a special place in your house. And maybe your tradition is, you know, Mary and Joseph start way over here, and, and each day as Christmas draws closer, maybe you move them a little bit closer to the manger scene. I don't know what your traditions are, but, but the nativity scenes, they help us tell the story of, of Jesus' birth. And, and there are some stories that are just worth telling over and over and over again because they speak into our lives. They help form us and tell us who we are. I never grew weary of hearing my papa's stories from his days in World War II. I would just sit at his feet and I could listen over and he could tell the same story over and over again. And there was just something about it that was worth hearing. Every one of us has stories like that in our lives and the story of Jesus' birth is one of them. But as I was looking at, at these particular images, uh, I noticed a few objects that maybe sometimes get, we, we know they're there, but they get overlooked a little bit. And so I titled the series, Do You See? Can, can we pause and take a look at some of the objects in the nativity scene that uh, are there, but maybe we just kind of gloss over? And uh, there's three of them that I want to talk about. Uh, over these weeks, that there is the, the obvious one is the crash, the stable. Uh, most nativity scenes have some sort of stable, so that's one. Uh, another one is, I think every single picture had a star in it somewhere. Um, and then if you look really closely, uh, probably 90%, eh, maybe that's fluffy on the, the percentage, but the vast majority of them have somewhere in the, in the picture a shepherd's staff. Well, shepherds were, you know, obviously grand, given the news, um, and so they went to see this thing. And so lots of times the shepherds are carrying the staff, but in many of the pictures you'll notice that the staff is very close to the manger, like Joseph is holding it. And there was one picture that the, it was a very simple artist drawing of the stable, the star, and the manger was in the middle, and the shepherd's staff was just propped up on the manger and, and curled over. I thought, huh, I think we should talk about the symbolism in some of our stories. So today, you know, we're going to talk about the shepherd's staff. Uh, you know, why is that in the picture? Why did God pick shepherds to give this news to first? I mean, Bethlehem's not that far from Jerusalem. Why did he pick the small town of Bethlehem and not the capital city of Jerusalem? If he wanted to get this news out, why not have it in a big city where, you know, the news would just spread so rapidly? And so there were some connections that I saw in the scripture that we read, Psalm 23, the shepherd's psalm. 
um, the story of Jesus' birth with the news entrusted to shepherds, and, and then the presence of this shepherd's staff in many of the pictures. And, and then in one of Jesus' famous I am statements, he said, I am the good shepherd. So that there's this Old Testament connection, and then there's this presence of the shepherding imagery in the nativity scene, and, and Jesus goes on later in life to say, I, I am the good shepherd. You know, there's a lot of shepherding imagery in the Bible. Uh, we, we get the picture of that God views himself as a shepherd. In Ezekiel uh, chapter 34, uh, God says, I'm, essentially, I am the shepherd. I will search you out. I will rescue you. I will feed you. I will protect you. I promise I will do all of these things as your shepherd. And, and the shepherd in sheep imagery in the Bible is a common way of uh, talking about how a king should interact with his people, uh, which is a little bit disconnected from us because uh, we see, you know, kings, uh, big-time leaders who, you know, presidents and uh, military leaders and uh, people who run big, you know, companies, sometimes the image or the thought that goes through our mind is, wow, they are so disconnected from reality. They don't spend any time with the common folk. They don't know anything about their workers or their people. We don't even know if they actually care how we feel. And God's image, uh, what God would prefer is that the leaders of Israel would be people who would would act more like a shepherd and be with their flock to know them and call them by name. Uh, Israel's shepherds often failed. And their point of failure, the reason they were bad shepherds, is that they ruled out of selfishness. They ruled for selfish gain. They, they, uh, they trampled uh, over people in their quest for power and for wealth. Um, they fed themselves before they fed their flocks. Uh, they failed to seek out the lost and the strayed, and they ruled with an iron fist. They ruled with force and, and harshness. They, they did not rule with kindness and with mercy. And the picture that we get in the Bible is that God is different than this. God behaves differently when he says, I will shepherd my people. And when Jesus comes along and says, I am the good shepherd, people would have understood the imagery that, that Jesus is using here because they would have seen a picture of, of failed leadership. They would have seen the picture of leaders who you know, ruled with that force and harshness, and they would have heard uh, Jesus say, I am the good shepherd. I am the one who will um, who will lead how God intended it. In Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. God is not some far-off, distant 
deity who is aloof and uncaring. God is one who is close by, and God is one who is, is there, and, and he cares. And, and during this season, when, when we say that uh, Jesus arrives and he is Emmanuel, that's God with us, God with his people. So we have all of this shepherding imagery in the Bible. If you think about shepherds for a moment, they have a difficult job. Now, we might not understand, I, I, I don't have much experience with being a shepherd of sheep that go bah. Uh, but I've read about it. And you know, there's interviews that you can watch of, of real shepherds and they have a tough job when you think about it. Um, they don't, just stand around and watch the sheep, which would seem to be, you know, pretty easy. What do they just stand around and watch sheep all day? What's, what's hard about that? Uh, they are charged with um, both provision and protection. They are held accountable for the sheep numerically and for the health and well-being of the sheep. Uh, it's a dangerous job because they are the ones that are tasked with fighting off predators and bandits and thieves. Um, they have to guide the sheep through rugged terrain and to find you know, pastures where there's good grass to eat. They have to keep the sheep from wandering off and getting lost uh, or hurt. Uh, it's a hard, it's a dusty, it's a smelly, it's a, and it's an often thankless kind of a job, the job of a shepherd. Psalm 23 proclaims that the Lord is my shepherd. Which, if you think about the Lord being our shepherd, what does that make us? Sheep, right? Can you say, bah? Very good. You're catching on. To be called a sheep, though, is not really a flattering thing. Unfortunately, it's not all about being cute and cuddly and warm and fuzzy. Uh, sheep, how do I put it this way? Kind of delicately. Sheep are dumb. <laughs> can I say that? Kids, can we say sheep are dumb? Uh, Lisa had a human anatomy and physiology class, and one of her lab projects was to dissect a sheep brain. And so at the end of the lab, she kept the sheep brain, and brought it home in a little Ziploc bag and put it in the refrigerator. I didn't know about this. So I go to the refrigerator, I'm thinking, hey, that, I don't know what that is, but it could be a snack. She said, no, no, that's a sheep brain, that's my project. I'm like, oh, you know what? Sheep have a very small brain. I mean, like this big. Not much gray matter up there. Um, sheep are stubborn. Sheep are foolish. Sheep are aimless, passive. They're easily startled, and they're always hungry. Uh, they follow their noses. Sheep follow their stomachs, their, their appetites, and they're constantly in search of filling that pit, that void that they feel in, in their stomach. 
And the picture that I get is that sheep nibble themselves into trouble. You know, we're all together as a flock in the green pasture, and oh, the grass looks good, and we nibble. But then the sheep looks up, and there's a little patch of green grass, you know, 10 feet away. Ah, I think I'm going to go nibble on that patch of grass. And so the sheep comes over here, and then, you know, what happens? Oh, there's another green patch over here. I think I'm going to go nibble on this one. And then they go over here, and, you know, the flock is over here, and pretty soon their stomach has led them astray, and, you know, they, they just don't pay attention to where they're going, and then they find themselves in trouble. Now, remember, I said that if the Lord is my shepherd, that makes me a sheep, which if I am a sheep, I probably exhibit all of that same behaviors that I just talked about, that maybe I'm not so bright, uh, maybe I'm stubborn, maybe I'm foolish, aimless, passive, easily startled, always hungry, and I nibble myself into trouble. Has that ever happened to you? where, you know, you think you're going along well in life and, and there's something over here that just distracts you a little bit and you think, wow, I think it's a little bit better over here. And so you go over here and you live for a while and, huh, oh, look at this over here. If I'm already doing this, I, I might as well go ahead and do this kind of behavior over here and participate in this. And so we just keep taking little nibble steps away from the path of righteousness that we're on. And we, we nibble ourselves into trouble. The sheep tend, they're prone to wander up steep cliffs, down into ravines, to the edge of raging rivers. The, the sheep nibble themselves into trouble and, and expose themselves to predators like foxes and wolves and jackals. And a sheep needs a shepherd to watch them carefully and constantly. And the Lord is my shepherd. When we say that, what we are saying is, is that we are in desperate need for one who can lead us. We're in desperate need for one who can protect us and keep us from disaster and, and out and away from trouble that, that life presents to us. And it's really an acknowledgement. When we say, the Lord is my shepherd, it's an acknowledgement that as much as we think we can, as much as we want to, we can't survive on our own. We need that shepherd in our lives. And sheep, they respond to the shepherd's voice. Over time, when, you, when the sheep interact with the shepherd, they, they learn his voice. And they respond to that voice. They, they, the sheep hear, the sheep know, and they follow. And You know, when, uh, when the shepherds would come to a watering hole... Uh, there weren't all that many of them, the flocks would co-mingle. You know, just, hey, free-for-all. All the flocks would, would mix together and, you know, get their water that they need. And then when it was time to go back to the green pastures, the shepherd would just call out to their sheep 
and they would know the shepherd's voice and, and they would, you know, separate and it was all good. Um, it reminds me of when I was growing up, all the kids on our block, we would get together during the day and we would, you know, we'd either be playing street hockey or exploring, you know, some woods in an empty lot around the neighborhood. And, you know, when, when dinner time came around, you know, each mom had a distinctive call. And we knew that when we heard our call, it was time to go. So we could be all mixed together during the day. And then as soon as we heard our call, you know, it was, hey, dinner's on the table. You must be getting home. My mom rang a bell. ding a ling a ling a ling, ling And you could hear that for quite a ways away. So, hey, time to go. Uh, my friend Brian and Bobby, their mom could yell. I mean, she could call them in from at least eight blocks away. Brian! And, hey, you best be getting home, buddy. Uh, you know this. You hear your call, and you go, you respond. Because sheep know the voice of their shepherd. Sheep like to be led. Sheep don't like to be herded like cattle. They, they trust the shepherd. And they, they know that instinctively that the shepherd is going to lead them towards safety, towards good things, towards green pastures, towards the water that they need. That the shepherd's not going to lead them into trouble. Psalm 23 says the Lord will lead us to green pastures and still waters, things that refresh us, things that bring life and, and vitality to us. And we like these images. Those sound nice. But if you notice and, uh, that this happens, all of this happens in the middle of chaos, in the middle of turmoil. And, and this, is a, this is a really important part to remember. Because sometimes people listen in on Christianity. They listen in to followers of Jesus. And they think that we're using fairy tale language. Like, you know what? If you come to Jesus, all your troubles are just going to go away. You and I know better than that, right? That's not what we're trying to say, but, but sometimes that's what people hear, and, and they hear that language and they say, you're just nuts because I know real life. And making a decision to follow Jesus isn't going to take me out of this particular trouble that I'm in. The psalmist is not saying that if you find Jesus that your problems will go away. He's, he's not saying that you won't ever be fearful. He's not saying that you will never have enemies and adversaries. He's never saying that you're not going to face heartache and pain, the valleys, the shadow of death, evil, enemies. All of those things are still present in the psalm that we read. But they're right alongside the images of assurance and tranquility and peace. The shepherd walks with you in the middle of your trials. That's what the psalmist is trying to point out. The darkness is not changed around us, but rather you are changed when you receive the gift of God's presence in your life. See, this psalm is, is so true to life. It's not a forced look through a pair of, of rose-colored glasses. See, we face the darkness, but it holds no power 
over us because we are in the presence of the Lord. That's what Psalm 23 is all about. In the middle of all this, in the middle of all the trouble and the pain and the evil that surrounds us, the psalmist started by saying, I shall not want. I lack nothing when the Lord is my shepherd. That the Lord is our shepherd, even in the middle of the uncertainty, he cares for us. He will make sure that our souls are nourished and fed and refreshed so we can continue on the difficult journey ahead. And somehow, in the middle of the trouble, we will find peace and security, even in the face of danger. That we will find joy that chases away our sorrow, and we will find that, that we will find a love that will overcome the fear that may have crept in. In this psalm, you learn, you learn the vocabulary so that you can say something like, even though I walk through the halls of the intensive care unit, I'm not going to fear death. Or, even though I walk through the valleys of depression, I will not be alone. Or, even though people will mock me and turn their back on me, I am not going to lose heart because the Lord travels with me. If you, if you look closely at Psalm 23, it identifies two pieces of equipment that shepherds carry around and use. Sometimes we think that it's one instrument. It says, the rod and your staff. Well, isn't that the same thing? Well, no. The rod is like a club to, to beat predators and chase away thieves. You know, it's an instrument of protection. Sometimes the, the club, they would even uh, like stick shards of metal in the side, so it's even more deadly. But then the, the other thing that they carry around is the staff the shepherd's staff, or we sometimes call it a shepherd's crook because it has the little hook on the end of it. And this is the image that we see in the nativity story. Uh, it's used for corralling, it's used for guiding, it's used for prodding and poking and maybe, you know, whacking upside the head every so often. Um, our, our shepherd sometimes has to put that crook around our neck and pull us back to the right path. Sometimes uh, he needs to just tap us on top of the head a little bit and say, hey, knock it off. Uh, that's not how we behave. That's not what we do. It's a crook that saves us. And Psalm 23 says that these instruments, the rod and the staff, provide comfort. I had to think about that one for a while. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. When I think about instruments of comfort, I'm not thinking about a club or a stick. I don't know about you. I mean, I remember instruments of comfort from my kids, you know, a stuffed animal, a special blanket, 
you know, when you grow up, it could be chocolate or coffee or, you know, a hot cup of tea or, you know, a warm fire. That we could come up with a long list of comfort things before we get to rod and staff, right? I didn't even know if they'd make the list. Uh, when I was growing up, my parents had a version of the shepherd's staff. Her name was Pauline the Paddle. Actually, uh, there was Pauline number one and Pauline number two. And Pauline number one was, well, she was painted red. She was about this long. Uh, she was about this wide on the paddle part. And then she narrowed down into the handle. And that was the design flaw of Pauline the paddle number one. And my dad, hi dad, he's watching online. <clears throat> my dad broke Pauline number one over my rear end. And I deserved it. Uh, we, as a family, were gathered in the living room and we were having popcorn as a snack. And some of you are old enough to remember the, the Melmac dishes like turquoise blue, uh, they're like indestructible, right? Uh -uh. So we had popcorn, I finished my snack, I put it on top of my head to carry it, don't ask questions, <laughs> <laughs> to carry it to the kitchen, you know, I'm gonna balance it all the way, and my dad said, don't do that. I'm like, it's fine, it'll be okay. And he said, if that bowl falls off your head and breaks, you're gonna get a swat with the paddle. And I'm thinking, <laughs> this is easy. This bowl could fall off and down the stairs and out onto the street and get run over, and it's not gonna break. So I make it all the way out to the dishwasher. Here's my mistake. I didn't take it off my head before I opened the dishwasher. So I am opening the dishwasher, and I still don't know how it happened, but open, and the bowl just kinda of slid off hit a corner or something and shattered. And I'm standing like, and my dad's like, bring the paddle. <laughs> oh no, I deserved it. So, you know, I get lined up and he takes a whack and Pauline breaks at the design flaw and the paddle part goes all the way down the hall, shatters a piece of artwork at the end. So kids who are here, this, if you don't take anything else away from today, if that ever happens to you, don't laugh out loud. <laughs> Does not end well. So that was the demise of Pauline the Paddle number one, and so Pauline the Paddle number two did not have the same design flaw. Pauline the Paddle number two, all I can say is ouch. And I didn't get spanked that often, but when it when I did, you know, I, Brian this morning, he's like, that must have been a good spanking because you remember it. <laughs> now, I tell you all of that because I did not find comfort and peace when my parents were using Pauline to shepherd me. Not in the moment. But as I think back over my childhood, 
I believe that I did find some comfort in having Pauline in the house. Because I think that, and I know that I'm thankful that there were boundaries that my parents set. And when I pressed the boundaries, I knew that they would shepherd me to stay within the boundaries and guide and direct. And sometimes it had to hurt. There's actually a lot of freedom that is established when boundaries are set. Because you can live and run in a sense of freedom, and, and you know where the edges are. And you can live freely within them. And there's also comfort in knowing that somebody actually cares that there are boundaries around my life. And I think when we read Psalm 23, we can get that picture in our minds that God cares so much about putting a boundary around us. Then when we say, Lord, you are my shepherd, that's giving him permission to help us stay within those boundaries. And sometimes when we push the boundary, he might tap us on the head a little bit and say, no, I know better. You may not think so right now in the moment. You may think that, that just, this is just insane and ludicrous and, you know, just too, too tight of a boundary. But I trust that he knows better. I trust that he's been out ahead of me. And he knows where the green pastures are. He knows where the waters are that are going to, to refresh my soul and to bring me life and vitality. So as we begin our Advent journey together, we wait. And we make room in our lives for the Christ child. And as we are on this side of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, and we can read about his story in in the pages of our scripture, and we know that he proclaims and he says, I am the good shepherd, the one who will ultimately lay down his life so that we can be saved. And as the psalm proclaims, when Jesus is our shepherd, in him we will not want. He will lead us to the green pastures. He will lead us to the still waters. He's going to restore our souls and guide us along the path of his righteousness. And sometimes he's going to need to get our attention with his staff, put it around our neck and and just pull us back. And we may fight it, but we need to trust him. And we need to listen to his voice because he calls out to us. And he says that my sheep know my voice and will respond. So here's the challenge. Because we are like sheep, we learn and listen to the voices that speak the loudest into our lives. There's lots of voices that are out there that you have the choice of listening to or not. So I wonder, are you, are you paying attention to the voice that's telling you to make life about yourself? Or are you paying attention to the voice that's telling you it's okay to trample over others so that you can get to the top? Or are you listening to the voice that, 
It's trying to convince you to work to become as wealthy as possible. Or maybe you're listening to the voice that, that whispers in your ear that taking shortcuts is okay. Or the voice that says, you know what, it's okay to, to let this relationship go. It's okay to move from one relationship to the next and to the next and to the next. Maybe it's a voice of negativity in your life that you're listening to, the one that's telling you that you're not good, that you're a failure, that you're never going to amount to anything. That's a voice that sometimes people listen to. Maybe it's a voice that's telling you that you should seek popularity at all costs. There's so many different voices out there, and none of them, none of them lead you to a green pasture, except for the voice of a good shepherd, which is Jesus. So listen for him. Listen for him. He says, I am the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So today, we call out to him and we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come. We acknowledge you as our shepherd. Come and lead us to safety. People of God said,